Well, hey, this is my favorite thing that I get to say on Sunday is grab your Bible. And if you don't have one or own one, there's one in the pew back in front of you. Turn to the end of your Bible. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Turn to 1 John chapter 3 in the Pew Bible. That is page 1124. One of the things that we do at Westside is we stop our service for what we call the reading of the text. And the reason why that's important is because we believe as God's people that God wrote a book. Oh, that was a good spot for an amen. We're not even preaching yet, but here we go. God wrote a book. Amen. Amen. And so when we read this and hear this read out loud, we are hearing the very words of God. And what the early church has done for thousands of years is they have said after the reading of the text, this is the word of the Lord. And the people of God respond with, thanks be to God. So when I get through reading, you will respond with, thanks be to God. 1 John chapter 3, and we will begin in verse 1 and read down to verse 5. West side, hear God's word. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children. Now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. This is the word of the Lord. Direct your attention to the screen. If you think of it like like this, until Christmas, here was the ideal and here was the real. Here's the ideal. Heaven, bliss, happiness, eternity, immortality. And down here is the real. Suffering, death limitation, brokenness. And between the ideal and the real was this concrete slab at Christmas in the incarnation. God punched a hole. Punched a hole in that concrete slab between the ideal and the real. And the ideal became real. And the ideal came down into our lives and into this world. And it's going to change everything eventually. Well, I hope that you had a fantastic Thanksgiving and sat around a table with your family and friends and gave thanks to God because we of all people have much to be thankful for. Amen? And now let the Christmas season begin, right? Now that Thanksgiving is gone and we are starting um, what in the church calendar is traditionally called Advent. And so the great thing about Westside is we have many people from many streams of faith and many people who didn't grow up in church at all. And so a lot of you guys are like, Advent, what's the difference between Advent and Christmas and all of that? Well, Advent in the church calendar, uh, the word Advent comes from the Latin word meaning um, the coming or the arrival of something significant. Uh, it's, It's not something that we use a lot in our language, but sometimes you'll hear, you know, the advent of technology or the advent of television. And I was reminded of of what our theme is here at Westside, which is it's all about Jesus. 
And so the great thing about the church calendar, which is something hopefully that we're going to work towards next year, the church calendar centers around the life of Jesus Christ. And so if it is all about Jesus, then us as Christians live literally by a different calendar. And so during this Advent season, this marks the beginning of the Christian calendar with the coming or the arrival of Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man, or as my youth pastor used to say, God in a bod, right? I guess that's what all the cool kids are saying. I don't know. That's not what they say, okay? But the cool thing about Advent is, is the next week we'll start sort of the lighting of the candles. And really what this season does is it builds anticipation for us as Christians to celebrate the arrival of the person Jesus Christ. And so we sort of slow down in a very busy season. It happens for us here in the States in the winter months when, when it is the darkest, but yet we have all of these lights to represent the coming of Jesus Christ. And so there's really three things that, that we do during the Advent season um, that, that the Christian calendar calls us to. And the first thing is this, is, is we look back to see what God has done. And the cool thing about this is we sort of live how the people in the Old Testament lived. And we live in this present day and age in what theologians call the already and the not yet. That Jesus Christ has come. That the hero of the story has arrived. And through his life, death, and resurrection, we see that God has been faithful to what he promised. And so we look back to see, man, what was this like to look at the faithfulness of all of God's promises. And in our services, we'll be reading from Old Testament passages and prophecies to look back and literally try to feel the angst that the people in the Old Testament felt for the waiting or the advent of the coming of Christ. But we don't just look back, because for us as Christians in 2018, we also get to look around to see what God is doing. So it's not something that we just look in the rearview mirror and look back and go, oh, wow, that was really cool what God did back then. But for us, we know through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and that he has sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts, that God is literally pushing back darkness. That Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we don't just look back to see what God has done, but we look around to see what God is doing in many of our lives. But then we also get to look forward to see what God will do. Because for us as Christians during the Advent season, we don't just look back and look around, but we also wait in great anticipation for the day when Jesus Christ returns. That is one of the great promises that we have as Christians. That when we see all through the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and Peter, and they all write for the coming of the day of the Lord, and be awake and stay awake. So during this Advent season, we, we are just filled with anticipation. And then we bring it to sort of a climax as to what's known as the service of light or the candlelight service. And that's where we light the Christ candle. And from that one candle, as Isaiah said, a light has shone on God's people, we then light our candles. 
And we watch the chapel fill from one candle to everybody else's candle, the spreading of light and as what God is going to be doing. And so Advent is, a, is just a great time of year for us. And so I think Hallmark has kind of hijacked Christmas a little bit. If your DVR is anything like mine, it's jam-packed full of Hallmark Christmas movies, right? Okay? But Advent calls us to kind of look at this a little bit differently. And really, Advent, um, and this is a pretty controversial statement, but I believe that Advent is the key to really look at the rest of Scripture. It's almost like a, a 30,000-foot view and maybe this will be helpful. On July 30th of this year, the basketball sensation known as LeBron James, who is arguably, okay, I'll give you that, arguably the greatest player to ever live, but if we had a cup of coffee, I would convince you that he is, but I'm not here to speculate, okay? I'm not here to debate or do anything like that, all right? Just look at statistics, but anyway, um, LeBron James grew up in Akron, Ohio, and was just straight out of high school into the NBA, was a hometown boy, played for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and just hit the scene like any other athlete um, has, has really ever hit the scene. And the great thing about LeBron is, is he's always been sort of a hometown boy there in Akron. But the great thing about it is, is he is a hometown boy, and, and he knows what these people are going through. Uh, LeBron James, in his fourth grade year in school, actually missed 83 days because he didn't have proper transportation, and him and his mother couch surfed and went to different houses and everything like that. And LeBron always said, I, I, I want to use my fame and my platform to make a difference to the town where I'm from. And then the controversial statement, he's taking his talents to South Beach. He goes to Miami, but he said in a press conference, I'm making a promise that, that I want to make a difference here in Akron. And his publicist actually suggested, man, you have such a burden for kids in the public school system. Why don't you start your own school? And so LeBron James, on July 30th of this year, opened what's known as the I Promise School. It's called I Promise because he said that he made a promise to Akron, Ohio. But what's also cool is there are 240 students from the lowest poverty-stricken area, and they are the lowest-performing students. They get transportation to school. All of their clothes and things are provided for. And it's not just called the I Promise School because he promised, but actually they, they sign a covenant when they enter into the school, and, and they make a promise. It's kind of difficult to see, but you can go onto the website, and the students say out loud together, my promise, I promise to go to school, to do all of my homework, to listen to my teachers. And he's trying to put a positive vibe there in the community. But on the day that he did it, we watched it, and my son's a huge LeBron James fan, and when he was standing in front of that school, he said, what's behind me? is the physical representation of a promise made and a promise kept. And when he said it, I thought, gospel, 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 right? This is how my mind works. I thought, that's Christmas. That's Advent. For you see, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered into the world, God made a promise. And he said, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix all of this. I'm going to send a Savior. And what we celebrate at Advent is the arrival of that Savior. For you see, Christmas is a promise that God has made and a promise that God has kept. 
and this is free. This isn't even in my notes, but I'm just excited to preach today, so let's just get after it. If God is batting a 1,000 on his past promises and has fulfilled all of those, doesn't that give us faith that he will fulfill what he said that he's also going to do? You see, this holiday season is so much more than just clean, nice, tidy family photos and gifts wrapped underneath the tree. For us as Christians, it is the pillar and the monument of a promise made and a promise kept. And so as I was looking for the direction that we were going to go this Advent season, I looked at the New Testament and and looked up every verse that mentioned about the coming or the arrival of Jesus. So I basically just got a concordance and looked at the Son of Man came, Jesus came, and one book stood out more than any of the other books, and that's 1 John. So 1 John is written by the Apostle John. This is the guy that, that rolled with Jesus. I mean, uh, you know, he even said in his own gospel that he was the disciple that Jesus loved the most, which is probably what I would say if I wrote my own gospel too, right? And Jesus loved Jason more than anyone else. That's probably what I would say. But what's cool about this is John makes five statements, very clear, very succinct statements as to why Jesus came. And so he says in 1 John 3, 5, we'll look at this today, Jesus came to take away sin. And then next week we'll look at 1 John 3, 8, Jesus came to take out the enemy. And that's going to be a blast. I can't wait to preach that. And then Jesus came to give us life, 1 John 4, 9. Jesus came to absorb the debt, 1 John 4, 10. And Jesus came to save the world, 1 John 4.14. So, to sort of Google Maps where we're going, each week we're going to look at a statement that the Apostle John, who walked with Jesus Christ, said about why Jesus came. And when I studied this and looked at it, um, you know, I'm, I like things simple. I like things, the jelly on the bottom shelf. I like it in a box. And I was kind of frustrated that John just didn't give us one statement. You know, here's why Jesus came, boom, period, done. But as I started to meditate and think about it, I realized the implications of the incarnation. The incarnation, maybe you didn't grow up in church. It's a big word, but so is mayonnaise. And you use that every day, all right? So God forbid you come to church and learn something, all right? The incarnation is the theological term for God becoming a human being, Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity. And the reason why I think John uses five statements to describe the incarnation is because you can't just say it in one. It's so profound, It's almost like a diamond. If you take a single diamond and hold it up to the light, one stone gives you many different colors and different facets of that diamond. And so this Advent season, we're going to hold up the diamond of why did Jesus come? And we're going to look at it from many different aspects and connect the dots as to how they apply to your life. And so today, our first statement is right there, verse 5. I'm going to use one verse for my entire sermon. That by no means means it's going to be a short sermon, okay? All right? But what we're going to do is we're just going to break this statement down like Legos, okay? And so John says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him 
there is no sins. Huh. That wouldn't have been a statement that I would have probably said. Does John not know that Christmas is about cocoa and Hallmark movies and shopping lists and it's cozy and it's nice and neat and we got to get the family picture and post that on Instagram and share it. Happy holidays, remind you yours. And then you bribe the kids. I'll give you a sucker if you smile, right? You know, you do all that stuff. Don't judge me, all right? You do that too, okay? I wouldn't have mentioned the word sins. Because, I mean, doesn't John know that that's not politically correct? It's 2018. We have iPhones. Give me a break, okay? Right? But actually, this is the fulcrum of the Christian message. We read it every year. And in Matthew's gospel, the very, very famous verse that the angel says, She will bear a son, talking about Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. But do you know what we do with it? Here's what we do. I actually looked at this. There's stuff for sale with this verse on it. Look at this coffee mug. Matthew 121. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Is there a problem with that? Yeah, it's not the whole verse, bro. Okay? You left something off. That's why at Westside, we want you to have your Bible in your hand, okay? So you know that I'm not skipping stuff. And then here's the sweatshirt. If you want the coffee mug to drink your coffee, we can have a sweatshirt too. And here's what it says. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will save the people from their sins, right? But do you know what I think that's a great illustration of? Is us trying to make something that is uncontrollable, something that we're kind of uncomfortable with, and we edit it, and we put it through an Instagram filter, and we make it our own little message, and we wrap the bow on it, and we put it underneath a tree, and we tame the Christian message. But John says in his very first statement, no, 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 no. If you want to understand Christmas, and if you want to understand Advent, then you need to understand why he came. But in this verse, John doesn't so much focus on the sin aspect, though he does mention it, but he gives us some characteristics of Jesus himself in one verse. And so think about it this way. Um, This past week, we had a doctor's appointment up in St. Louis. And so we've kind of walked on a journey with our oldest son, Roman, and his eye. And he had a previous eye surgery. And so we were doing a follow-up statement. And uh, the doctor was fantastic, and he was great. And he sort of looked, and he gave us different news. It wasn't bad by any means. We just went in with different expectations and having read Google Right? Poor doctors these days, man. They're like, oh, this is what you have. And you're like, nope. I read Google last night when I had an anxiety attack in my bed. I've got a blood clot. I've got this. I feel a little woozy right now talking. Right? The doctor's like, you don't have any of that. Okay. And we laughed and we were sort of discussing, you know, what the doctor said. And Courtney asked, you know, what do you think? And, and I know moms know their babies and, and all of that. And I just kind of said, I think he's an eye doctor. I think he's a doctor, and I think he's probably qualified to make the statement, you know? As a matter of fact, we sat in there and, like, looked around the office, and there's all this stuff hanging around. And if you're sick and you go to a doctor's office, number one, what you're saying is you can't save yourself. You ever thought of that? 
I can't cure myself, so I need to go somewhere, and I need help. And when you go to that doctor's office, that doctor has credentials hanging on the wall as to show you that he or she is certified to take care of you. Sorian Kierkegaard says that we have a sickness, a sickness unto death, sin. So what John does in this statement is he says, this is why he came, but here are the credentials of Christ. Here are his qualifications as to how he is even able to do this. And the first thing that John tells us, the credential of Christ is this, that Jesus is eternal. I'm pulling this, look in verse 5. You know that he appeared. That word appeared, massively important. Underline that in your neighbor's Bible to make sure that they're awake, okay? Appeared. Now, here's what this word does not mean. It does not mean that Jesus started and began at Christmas or at the virgin birth. Parents, please listen to me. Do not teach your kids this holiday season that we celebrate Jesus started at Christmas. That's a heresy that would have got you burned at the stake back in the day, okay? Everybody's all like, let's go to the early church. Okay, yeah, right? What we're teaching our kids is this is when God put on human flesh. And what the word means appeared, it literally has the connotation almost like to shine a light on. Now, follow me logically, okay? Parents, have you ever had to make the treacherous, dangerous, death-defying journey through the house into your child's room late at night when it's dark? And they've left all the booby traps around for you, right? I think a masochist is the one who designed Legos. Because when you step on those joints or do, I mean like, and so you're making the trek, you're trying not to wake them up and do all of that, and it's dark and you can't see anything, question When you turn on the light and see what's in the room, was what was in the room already there before you turned the light on? Okay. So when you turn the light on, those Legos didn't start. They were already there. That's what John is saying about Jesus being eternal. That literally, this is great, Christmas means that God turned the light on for us. And that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, appeared to us in the flesh at Christmas. So now let's bridge the application from deep theology to practicality in your life. That means that all through the Old Testament, when the prophets were saying, God is doing something, God is doing something, and everybody's saying, yeah, but I can't see it, but I can't see it, and then Christmas means that God turned the light on, that tells me this, that God is doing a thousand things in your life that you were unaware of just because you can't see it. That's why the Apostle Paul says, we walk by faith and not by sight because God is doing things that we are unaware of and that we can't even see. That God is working in our lives even when we can't see it. And this is our trust and this is our hope. 
And parents, you know this to be true. You do so much every morning for those kids, moms, dads, packing those lunches, sending the kids off, doing all of that. If it's anything like my house, when Roman loads up in the car to go to school, there have already been a thousand things prepared for him for that day. And your heavenly father is the same way about you every single day. That he's already prepared things. That he's already done things. And this is massively important for us to understand as Christians. This changes our understanding of Jesus. Because what I said, Jesus has sort of been hijacked, you know, by either Hallmark, where he's like a lost member of the Beach Boys. He's like this white guy, blonde hair, blue eyes, wearing hemp sandals. And he's all like, peace, man, peace. Peace and love, man. That's just all I'm about. But the early church fathers actually thought that this was so important that they gave us what historians called early church councils. So check this out. In 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea met. Here's why this is important. This separates Christianity from all other religions. I'm about to get jacked, and I'm teaching about church history, and I'm a nerd, and I love it, okay? Here's what people always say. Well, how do we know? How do we know we got the Bible, right? They watch some YouTube clip of a guy living in his mom's basement who said he doesn't believe in God anymore, and so he Googled something, and now your kid comes home from college, and they're like, yeah, well, they said that this probably isn't true. Listen, we have so much accurate history that from the apostles' teachings... And the apostles studied under who? Who is that guy again that the apostles learned from? Oh yeah, Jesus. Kind of a big deal. So Jesus teaches the apostles in line from the secession of the apostles, we have the church fathers and church councils. They thought that it was so important for us to understand the eternality of Jesus Christ that they give us creeds like the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. This is what the Nicene Creed reads about when it speaks of Jesus. Are you ready for this? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. Here we go. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, now about Jesus, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made, of the same essence of the Father. Through Him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom shall never have an end. That is good news. Listen, this is not your six-pound, eight-ounce little baby Jesus. This is the cosmic ruler of the universe who eternally existed. And then in Advent and at Christmas, when we see the humility of Jesus Christ 
to literally be written into the story. I know what you're thinking. Oh, Jason, this is Christmas and doctrine and dogma and this is what's wrong with the church. They always want your money and they're always talking about deep things. Don't nobody care about doctrine. All we need to do is just love each other and sing kumbaya and then everything's great. There's a problem with that. That in and of itself is a doctrine. When you say that we shouldn't do deep things and we shouldn't believe in doctrine, that's a doctrinal statement that you're saying. And I love what Tim Keller says. He says this in his uh, Hidden Christmas Advent devotional. Oftentimes, as a pastor, people tell me this. I don't know what I believe about Jesus. I don't know if I believe in the incarnation or all these dogmas. But really, doctrine doesn't matter. What matters is that you live a good life. However... When you say that doctrine doesn't matter, all that matters is that you live a good life, that is a doctrine. It's called the doctrine of salvation by works rather than by grace. It assumes that you are not so bad that you need a savior, that you're not so weak that you can pull yourself together and live as you should. You are actually assuming a whole set of doctrines about the nature of God, humanity, and sin. And the true message of Christmas is that those doctrines are all wrong. That's the true message of Christmas. You're wrong. Merry Christmas, right? Those of you who love to be right, you're like, babe, that's our Christmas card this year. You're wrong. Merry Christmas, right? But here's why that's so important. We learned this last week through our Attitude series. The way in which I view God determines everything in my life. And as Augustine said, if you read the Gospels and take out what you don't like and believe what you like, it is not God that you believe in, but it's actually yourself. You have to take what God has given you. And at Advent and at Christmas, God is giving us a new lens. And he is saying, through his son, eternally existing Jesus Christ, that I'm here. So Christmas is a doctrine that takes us deep into our own hearts and into the heart of God. We can't make it nice and tidy. We can't Photoshop it and edit it. We have to deal with what's been given to us. The first credential of Jesus to be able to take away sin is that Jesus is eternal. The second one is this. Jesus is equal with God the Father. Jesus is equal with God the Father. I'm pulling that from the same word, he appeared. It means that that there was no beginning, but rather that the light was turned on for us. So if Jesus is eternal, then it's logically to follow that sequence of events that Jesus is also equal with God the Father. Now, listen, this is why this is, makes Christianity different than any other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world has an appointed prophet, Buddha, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, whatever. And they say, this is our appointed prophet, and this prophet will tell you how to get to God. So this prophet gives you a list of do's and don'ts and says, if you do the do's and don't do the don'ts, then you will make your way up to God. Christianity is different from all other religions because Jesus is not a prophet. Jesus never said that he was a prophet. Jesus never said that he was a way to God. Jesus said he was God. 
And he answers Philip in John 14 and says this, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you know why Jesus was murdered? I mean, like, think about it. Jesus wasn't murdered for making blind guys see. Ain't nobody's mad about that. He made the blind guy see, crucify him, right? Or feeding 5,000 people the kids lunchable, right? He fed a bunch of hungry people, crucify. No, none of that. Why was Jesus murdered? Because Jesus, Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. And Pontius Pilate and the Roman government didn't like if there was another king in the region. And Jesus said that he was the king of kings. And that's what got him nailed to a cross. So we as his followers must accept the same message. And John actually opens his letter and says this in 1 John. The life was made manifest, same word, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Jesus is eternal, and Jesus is equal with God the Father. Now, why does this theology and this doctrine matter to you and your life? How can you leave here today loving God more and living differently in light of such a profound truth? Well, I think it has everything to do with Krispy Kreme donuts. Right? We're going places today, all right? So we used to live in South County, St. Louis. I was a youth pastor at a church up there, and there is a Krispy Kreme there in South County, right, kind of by the mall and all that stuff. And some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. And sometimes I would take the students over there for Sunday school at Krispy Kreme. And for some reason, our attendance was so much higher on those days when we did Sunday school at Krispy Kreme Donuts. But what is Krispy Kreme famous for when they turn that thing on, right? Hot and fresh. Hot and ready. And so when that sign is on, that means that you walk in and there are hot, gooey, delicious manna from heaven, from God himself, donuts, right? And so I asked the guy one time, like, does that actually make a difference in your sales? I mean, when you turn that on, like, if you turn it on at 1025, do you look at 1027 and it actually makes a difference? He said, absolutely. When we turn that sign on, our sales go up. People come inside to get the donuts. Now... A sign is turned on that's visible. And the visible sign lets you know that something is available. The reason why it's important to understand that Jesus is eternal and Jesus is equal with God the Father is because Advent and Christmas teach us that God became visible to show us that he's available, that you have access to him. That at Christmas, God literally turned the light on. And why is that important? Because many of us think, what does God think about me? What does God think about my current situation or my current standing in life? What does God think about this? That's why it's so important when we read the Gospels. Because then, what does God think about sexual sin? And we see Jesus encounter the woman caught in the act of adultery. And we see that he doesn't condemn her, but says, go and sin no more. Then we say, God is is loving like that. And then when we see Jesus touch the lepers and go to the outside of the city and eat with tax collectors and sinners, and the religious people hated that, then we see that God is merciful and loving like that. Listen, the lens through 
through which we view God is through the lens of the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is what makes God available to us. And that there is no other way, but it is through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is eternal and that he is equal with God the Father. And then the last credential of Christ is this, that Jesus is empty of sin. Look at John's statement. You know that he appeared, we covered that, in order to take away sins. Here's a clarifying statement. And in him, Jesus, there is no sin. We learned this a couple Christmases ago. The reason why Jesus being fully God and fully man is so important for us to understand is we said this. Jesus was fully God and fully man in order to fully bridge the gap between God and man. That God is a holy and perfect and righteous God. And that Habakkuk says that he cannot even look upon sin. And the psalmist says that he cannot be in the presence of sin. So then that means that there's a problem with us. And that's why we see that through Adam and Eve, God banished them out of the garden. Because that was symbolism that sin had now breached the relationship. That there's now a separation. That we don't have the closeness that we once had. And in the scriptures in Genesis 3 at the end of the chapter, it says that God put a cherub angel with a flaming sword to guard the entrance back into the presence of God. He put a flaming ninja turtle right at the entrance, right? So that means to get back into the entrance of God that you have to go under a sword. And when Jesus was crucified upon Calvary and had the nails in his hands and in his feet and he cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, the Roman soldier grabbed a sword and pierced his side. And the scriptures teach us that the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. What was the temple curtain? The temple curtain separated God and his people. And the curtain tore as symbolism to show that there is now full access because someone has gone under the sword for us. If sin is an eternal problem, then it requires an eternal payment. But here's often how we think of it. Imagine that you're at a nice five-star restaurant You're dining, you've got all the three-course, four-course meal, you've had the entree, you've had all of that, and you go to pay, and your card is declined for whatever reason. And so you begin to roll up your sleeves to go in and do dishes and try to work off your payment. And then a gentleman at another table says, "Um, no, it's fine, it's okay, Um, I'll I'll pay their tab, I'll pay their tab. A lot of us think that, that that's what the gospel is, but that's not the gospel because there's a problem. Imagine that the waiter then turns to that gentleman and says, Sir, thank you so much for your offer, but there's a problem. Um, You already have an outstanding debt with this restaurant. You can not only not pay for their meal, but, sir, you, you can't even pay for your own meal. You see, that's why we needed someone to come outside of us. That's why it's always in the Avengers and Superman and somebody comes from outside the world and comes into our world and saves us. That's why the virgin birth is so important. Like how crazy is that? How awesome is God? Well, um, a virgin gave birth. Let that sink in. Just think about the sentence, okay? 
Here's what Thomas Aquinas, an early church father, said. In order that the body of Christ might be shown to be a real body, he was born of a woman. But in order that his Godhead might be made clear, he was born of a virgin. That's why the payment cleared. And then John says to take away our sin. In the original language that the Bible's written, that phrase, take away sin, could actually read, pick up and put on sin. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. What were Jesus' credentials? What does Christmas mean? It means that He's eternal, and that He's equal with God the Father, and that he's empty of sin. And here's the thesis statement today. Jesus Christ came to take away sin by taking on our sin. That's what moves us this holiday season. I pray for many of you that that this Advent and Christmas season wouldn't just be something that's cozy and neat and nice and tidy, but rather that it's like God turning a light on and that we have to look at the real reality of what this season means. And as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, just look, look at Jesus' credentials. Look at Christ's credentials. <laughs> Eternal? That's a big deal. Equal with God the Father, full access to God, and empty of sin. So what do these statements mean? How can you leave here living different in light of sitting in a doctor's office? And as Soen Kierkegaard says, having a sickness unto death and looking on the walls and seeing the credential of Christ separated from any other religion and any other savior in the world. I think it means a few things. The first thing is this, is that if Jesus' credentials are good enough to pay for your salvation, then I think they're good enough to handle your current situation. Do you see how detached we live from our theology? Oh, yeah, virgin birth. Oh, yeah, all these credentials. Oh, that's cool. And then over here, we live in anxiety and worry and in fear because we think that if our hand is not in it or if we don't know the plan or if we're not involved, then everything will fail. But if God could plan and pay for the salvation of the sins of the world, then I believe that he's qualified to handle any current situation you're going through. With your family, with your marriage, with your kids, with your grandkids, any of that. The second thing is this, is that in and through Jesus Christ, you can have access to God the Father. Could you imagine that if I told you that there was an ATM that you had unlimited funds through? I mean, I know what your day is going to consist of right? It's going to be planned around swooping through that ATM, right? Unlimited access, unlimited funds, but through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we have unlimited access of grace and mercy and forgiveness to God the Father through the person of Jesus Christ. Every access of every moment of every day, that's why the writer of Hebrews says, approach the throne of God boldly, just as a child approaches their father that you have that access, that you can be known. And then the last thing is this. The very message of Christmas is that Jesus came to show you that you cannot save yourself. The whole message of Christmas is that we needed a Savior. 
And if you have to say, I am saved or I was saved, that means that in the same breath, you're also admitting that at one time you were lost. And it's not about your efforts, but it's about what Christ has done for us. So Jesus Christ came to take away our sin by taking it on. And so I'm going to draw your attention to the insert that you have in your bulletin. I'm going to have you stand to your feet, and we will read this out loud together as an assurance of pardon before we come to the table. And here we see the elements of this Advent season, the body broken and His blood shed. So Westside, let us hear the good news and read these words out loud together as God's people. Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Let us believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The good news is that Christ calls us to new life and enables us to begin again and again and again and again. Let us believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as we start this Advent season. And God, I pray that as we start this, that you would awaken us to the truths of this holiday season. That we would change the picture of this nice, neat, cozy little Jesus there in the manger that we can control. But rather I pray that we would be humbled and in awe that angels looked down from heaven and sang. Glory to God in the highest. This is it. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. This is what all of eternity has longed for. And it has arrived. Strengthen our faith today. And may we have a big view of this person of Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in your holy and in your perfect and in your precious name. Amen. Would you come forward and partake in communion as you feel led today?